our pastoral team, and so we're so blessed by that. So, Chris, we love you, and we're excited. You're finishing our series in Acts this morning. Let's just uh, say thanks to Chris as he comes and brings the word this morning. It was, it was actually two years ago this week. Yeah. One person's excited. And it's not my mom, which is good. Um, yeah, we, I only know when things happen because Facebook tells me. Uh, and so this week, Facebook had my memories pop up, and it was us getting on the plane to fly all the way across the country from Ottawa uh, to come here. And so it's been two Two years, it's hard to believe. There's a sign that um, if you drive up Highway 2 from the south coming into town, there's a, a big huge billboard and it says, uh, a little less Ottawa, a lot more Alberta. And uh, every time we drive by it, we laugh because we're like, yeah, yeah, a little less Ottawa, yeah. Let's get them out of our pockets. So we're becoming Albertans um, through and through. Um, two years and this is the first time that Pastor Ben has asked me to speak, so um, take, take that for, for what it's worth. So what, what I decided to do is make it a two-part sermon, so you need to come back in uh, August 2020 for the second half of the sermon. Actually, um, I was thinking back, I, I went to Vanguard, it was Northwest Bible College um, in Edmonton uh, to school, and I actually... I actually preached here at First Assembly in 1999. I don't know if anybody was here. Uh, I, I traveled with the choir. Um, they wouldn't let me actually join the choir. Uh, they said something about needing keys or holding keys or being on key. or I, I don't know what it was. I wasn't really listening. Uh, but they let me preach. And so, um, uh, But you might have to come back for the second part of the sermon in 2039. Because apparently it's every 20 years I get to speak. Um, but I remember sitting right, the choir was kind of over there, and so I was sitting down there, and before I was speaking, um, I've kind of self-diagnosed myself with ADD. I don't, I've never actually been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, but the whole time waiting to come up to speak, I actually counted all of the wood rungs along the front of the, the balcony. Um, I think there was 420, um, all across the front. And so uh, if this doesn't go well, you're, it's okay for you to turn around and just start counting rungs because uh, I've, I've been there and I've done that. So um, I actually, I've, I've got, um, come to the meet and greet and, and meet us. I've got strep throat and laryngitis, so I'd love to meet you. Um, um, but uh, I was at the doctor's office and there was a big poster on the wall. I was sitting in the, in the lobby waiting and there's a big poster and um, the, the, the poster was, do you have adult ADD? And so I thought, wow, I, I can actually diagnose myself. I'm going to, I kind of want to read the poster. There was a, uh, two ladies sitting in front of the poster that were probably in their 50s and so I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't really want to go up and and, and, and look. So I thought, I'll look at the side wall and pretend I'm reading the poster on the side wall. Um, and then I'll just kind of look to the left and they won't know I'm reading about ADD, adult ADD. And so I went up and did it and the ladies started giggling and laughing. And they were in their 50s, so it kind of threw me off a little bit. And, and, and all of a sudden, it got kind of louder and louder laughter until finally one of the ladies snorted because uh, they were laughing so hard. And I thought, oh, it's not that funny to be 
laughing at somebody who's trying to find out if they have ADD. And then I realized the poster on the wall that I was fake reading was uh, a plump rump and a fly thigh, how to have a perfect hourglass figure. And so that's what they were laughing at because they thought I was reading that poster. Um, so I, I tried to, I'm like, no, 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 I just have ADHD. It's all good. I have no idea because I didn't finish the uh, poster. So I don't know if I have ADD. We are into Acts. And uh, this is, as Pastor Ben said, this is the final Acts of the summer. And so uh, I hope you've enjoyed the series. Uh, we are jumping into Acts chapter 4 today. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Acts chapter 4, uh, and I'm just going to give you some, some background on before we jump into our particular area. But Acts chapter 4, if in Acts chapter 3 previously, Peter and John are walking into the temple. And there's a, a beggar, a, a lame beggar sitting at the gate. And so as they're walking into the, the temple, this beggar says, hey, hey, can I have some money? You know, like, I mean, you see him all the time. And so they're asking for money. And, and Peter turns and, and he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. Get up and walk. And the beggar stands up and walk and he's healed instantly. And it's this miraculous example of what God can do in people's lives. And it's this fantastic story. Well, of course, you know, the, the religious elite at the time don't like this. They don't, they don't want anything to do with, with Jesus being promoted. And so they get all upset. And so they try and come up with a plan to, to come against Peter and John. You gotta bear with me. I'm not used to Calgary being so dry. Um, but they're, they're, they're trying to come up with this huge plan. So they, they, they bring them before these, the, the, these officials and they, and they basically put them on trial for, for what they've done. Now, they don't really have a leg to stand on. They don't really have any way of really um, doing anything to, to give them our done. But they think, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll bring them in at night and we'll accuse them of, of doing all this stuff. And they'll have to spend the night in jail. And so in, in, in Acts chapter 3... Peter and John are, are, are sent to jail overnight, and they're in jail overnight waiting so that they can say their piece the next day. Well, the next day they get up to say their piece, and of course all these accusations are being thrown against them. But they, they can't really say much because this lame beggar that everybody's known for so long because day in, day out, he sat by the, the, the court temple gates, and, and he's standing there. Like he's, he's healed and he's standing right there. And so they're, they're doing their best to try and claim fake news, but the evidence is, is right there, right? So the, the, they don't know what to do. So, um, so they, they huddle and they think, well, what can we do? And well, we can't really do much. So we have to release them, but let's tell them that they have to stop talking about Jesus. We'll just tell them that it's not okay for them to talk about Jesus. And so, um, so, of course, they say to them, they release them uh, to, to, to go. And, of course, they say, we're going to talk about Jesus because he changes lives. Look at, look at this beggar. And so they walk away. They, and then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 23. And I think, it's, I think it's on the screen there. But um, I love the response in, in this. So after they're released, realizing that you know, the, these religious officials realized they can't do anything, and so they released them. And Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So I love that their first response is, we just need to pray. We need, we need, to, we need to pray. And 
I wish I could tell you, I, I, I wish I could tell you that that was my response in every situation, uh, that my first response was to pray. You ever hear stories of people that are like, yeah, we were driving and, and the car broke down and we're sitting on the side of the road and it's a major highway and there's cars whipping by. And so I just, I just stopped and I prayed and, and, and the car just started. I didn't even have to turn the key and we were able to drive home. And you're like, well, that's, that's amazing. My problem is that when my car breaks down, I get out of the car, I switch all, I, I rotate all the tires, I start pulling things out of the engine, and then I got pieces of the engine all over the road, and then I'm like, man, maybe I should pray. And so I, I wish I could tell you that my first response was, was prayer, but unfortunately, I, it's not. But their first response is, is we're going to lift up a prayer to God. And so they begin to, they begin to pray. And so this got me thinking... This got me thinking about, about prayer and the whole aspect of prayer. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. And I hope you'll, you'll bear with me as I, I walk you through uh, some of the examples I've, I see in Scripture of um, how res- responded uh, God is to our, our prayers. And so there's, there's three different ways that, um, that we're, going to, we're going to talk about what happens when we pray. Um, before I moved from uh, Ottawa, I was... I worked in an addiction treatment center uh, for men, and uh, um, we'd get guys that would come into our program, and they'd been on the streets for 20 years, and they'd been uh, on all kinds of drugs, and they'd come in, and this first response, uh, this first story I want to share, this is the response that every one of those guys would come into our program with. They would, they would want God to respond this way, and so we're going to look at... Um, the prayer of desperation. These guys would come in and they'd be so desperate uh, because they were so broken. Their families had, had, had now had wanted nothing to do with them and they were desperate for God to do something. And so we look at a, a story um, in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, this is the type of, of response to almost every prayer that we make that I want. This is, this is the one I want. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, it says, While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with them, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and said, Take heart, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Jesus goes on and, and ends up uh, going to this person's house and healing the daughter as well and brings the daughter back to life. She dies before he gets there and he brings her back to life. And, and so we, we look at these, this response, and this is the response I want to all my prayers. I want all my prayers to be answered this way, right? Where God does something miraculous and everything I want happens right in that moment. Um, my son, uh, Tyson is seven and, uh, every night, uh, when we're putting him to bed, we always, uh, we always pray with them. And a couple of weeks ago we had kids camp here and there was, uh, 180 kids, I think, uh, at kids camp. And one of the kids that, that was coming to camp was Tyson's friend from school and, uh, never been to church. And so we, we invited this little girl to come to camp. And so the night before camp, um, we were, uh, getting ready for for bed, doing the bedtime routine, and I said to Tyson, "I'm like Tyson, what do you what do you want to pray about? We're gonna we're gonna pray. What do you want to pray about?" 
And he said, Dad, I just, I really want to pray for Amelia because I want her to, to make a lot of friends. I want her to have a lot of fun and I want her to come back. And so, you know, you're, as, a, as a dad, you're like, oh, that's so wonderful. I'm going I'm to cry. But you're trying to stay tough and so you're trying to not cry in front of your kid. And, um, so we prayed for that. And then the next night we were doing the same thing, going through our routine. And, um, and so I said to Tyson, I'm like, Tyson, what do you, you know, how, how, did, how did it go? What do you, like, did, it, did it work out? He said, Dad, Amelia had so much fun. It was awesome. She made so many friends, and she can't wait to come back. So I said, oh, isn't that amazing? God answers prayer. He's like, yeah, Dad, God answers prayer. Oh, it was awesome. God answered my prayer. I was like, that's great. What do you want to pray for tonight? He's like, I want to pray for an Xbox. Okay. I admired his face, so we prayed for an Xbox for him and a new truck for Dad. Um, so far, neither of us have liked the response we've gotten, but but he caught this like I'm going to pray and I'm going to get whatever I want because God answers prayer, and God does do that. God, I have seen repeatedly, God answers prayer. People throw up these prayers and God answers them. And it's miraculous and a life is changed. And it's, it's unbelievable in the circumstances. Actually, the, 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 probably the coolest moment I've ever had of God answering prayer was the, 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 in 1999 when I was in this church, we were praying at the end of the service and I was praying up here and there was a lady that came down this aisle right here and she had one leg that was longer than the other leg. And so she came up, she was sitting on the ground right here, and we were praying for her, and I had my hands on her leg, and you could feel her leg grow. It was the, it was the weirdest, grossest feeling all at the same time. Um, but right here, and I remember sitting here, and I remember watching her walk out those doors, and she got up, and as she was leaving, she had her shoes that one was, had a bigger heel than the other, and so she couldn't wear her shoes home. So she literally was walking out with a shoe in each hand and she was walking out. And I remember sitting here thinking, I want to see this happen over and over and over again for the rest of my life. I, don't, I have no idea where that lady went. I mean, I went back up to Edmonton and I, I don't know what happened with her. If you know her, like, come talk to me. That'd be kind of cool. But um, I have no idea where she went. No idea what happened. Um, but I know she walked out differently than she walked in. I know that there was a change in her life that was different, and she was going to go tell somebody about it. I mean, she was a walking story that people couldn't deny, right? And so I want to see God do that. And I know, as we see in this chapter with this woman, in a moment, the Bible says she was healed. In a moment, I mean, we don't often pay attention to the other part where it says she had suffered with bleeding for 12 years. But in a moment, God healed her. And so I know that God does that. Can I give you a second response that, um, that I've, I, I see in Scripture to prayer? And this, is, this one's not quite as popular. This is one that we, that we don't like. Our, our guys, when we go into this answer to prayer, uh, the guys in our, our addiction treatment center didn't like this answer or this method as well, as much. But this one is the prayer of determination. And uh, I've been thinking about this story, and um, 
we're going to go to, to John chapter 2. And, and this is Jesus when he performs his first miracle. And this is a pretty remarkable chapter that I've read a whole bunch of times and neglected to actually pay attention to what I was reading. I know that's shocking for someone with ADD. Um, but in John chapter three, three, or John chapter two, sorry, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, "They have no more wine." He says, "Woman, if I ever said that to my mom, it would be the last thing I said." But he says, "Woman." Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. So uh, let me just stop there for a second. So keep in mind that Mary, Mary has held this promise of who Jesus was in her heart. When most, most biblical scholars think that Mary was probably somewhere between 13 and 15 years old when she gave birth to Jesus. So Jesus, or an angel shows up to Mary, probably when she's somewhere around 11, 12, and says, you're going to have a baby, and you're, uh, it's going to be uh, this miraculous conception, and uh, you're going to name the baby Jesus, and he's going to save all of humanity. And so this is what Mary's had uh, in her heart, and Jesus is probably 30 at this time. So put this in perspective. This would be kind of like if you had a kid... And he was 46 years old and sitting on your couch playing video games every day. Because Jesus was 30. He would have been old for his day to accomplish this. So Mary's been waiting for Jesus to, to, to finally fulfill that promise that she's been given. And so she says to these servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, that seems so simple. And forever I read this, and it is simple, but in my day, what do I do? I go, okay, I got to fill some jars, run the hose, fill the jars. In Jesus' day, filling those buckets would have been very, very different. Very different. So I've got some Bible math on here. And so bear with me because uh, math was never my my strong suit. Uh, I know about enough to do addition, but bear with me, okay? So the Bible says that the, the jars held about 20 to 30 gallons. Let's split it down the center just to make math easy, 25 uh, gallons per jar, okay? I, I, I'm Canadian, and so gallons mean absolutely nothing to me, so let's do the math to, to change that. So we're looking at 570 liters of water needed to fill these six jars, okay? So we're talking a significant amount of water. Okay? Now keep in mind that in Jesus' day, when they needed water, what did they do? They went to the well. Where was the well? The well was in the city center. So they wouldn't have just been able to go and just fill up a bunch of buckets. They would have had to walk to the city well to fill up the well. Well, okay, so how much is 570 liters? Okay, trying to figure that out. 570 liters, again, I'm Canadian, but I'm also old enough that Kilograms mean nothing to me. I need pounds. So I did the math back to pounds. And so now we're looking at, they needed to carry 1,254 pounds of water. Okay? So we're talking a significant amount of water. Okay? So now, now, bear with me. We're going somewhere. 
So now I deep dive into looking at the historical reference of the time of how they would do that. Well, the buckets, the carrying cases that they would have used uh, at the time to go to the well, the job was a woman's job. Don't shoot the messenger, but it was a woman's job. And so they would have been lighter uh, buckets to use to go retrieve the water. And so scholars believe that it was probably between 30 and 35 pounds. Okay? 30 to 35 pounds of water is 15 liters. 15 liters a trip means they would have done 38 trips back and forth to the well. Also, doing my deep dive, I found out that the bucket that would have been in the well at the time would have probably been somewhere between 7 to 10 pounds. And when you do the math on that, it means they would have lowered the bucket and raised the bucket for water 180 times. So for Jesus to do his miracle of turning water into wine, which incidentally was the second most prayed for miracle at our addiction treatment center. Um, They would have had to walk back and forth to the well 38 times and done 180 trips down into the well to scoop out water. So in other words, work would have had to be done in order for the miracle to happen. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about earning a miracle. We don't earn miracles. That's not how God works. He's not saying you have to earn anything. But sometimes he's saying to us, I need you, I need you to prepare so I can do the miracle. He's going to turn the water into wine, but there needs to be water for for there to be wine. And so oftentimes we have these requests. We have these, these things that we're praying about. God, just, I, I need you to help my marriage. God, I, I need a miracle in my marriage. And God's saying, I'm going to do a miracle in your marriage. But what about the bucket of the anger that you're carrying? What about the jar that needs to be filled of the stuff that you're watching when no one's around? What about the jar that you're, you're, the, that you're, you're not filling about the way you're treating your wife or you're speaking about your wife when she's not, not around? And so there's jars that we need to fill. That God says, listen, fill the jar. I got the miracle. I'm going to perform the miracle. I'll do the work. But I need you to put the water in the jar. And so we need to respond sometimes with determination, not just desperation. I am determined that I will do what God has asked me to do so that he can do what only he can do. We don't like this one as much because it's easier just to say, God, I need a miracle. God does the miracle. And we go, woohoo, that's great. And we walk out. The problem is if God does that all the time, you know what we become? We become Kardashian Christians. Where we got nothing to give, we're useless But yet, we get everything we want somehow. I know, that was harsh for you Kardashian fans. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that kind of a Christian. I I want God to do miraculous things, and he will. But I want to also be the kind of Christian that when God asks me to do something, I'm willing to do it to see what God can do. We want to change our city. We've got dreams that Calgary needs Jesus. Jesus needs to, to, to reign in Calgary. We want revival to come here in Calgary. I'm going to fill as many buckets as I can so that God can do a revival in our city. Are we, are we desperate enough 
to do a little bit of work, 38 trips to a well, 180 buckets dropped into a well. Are we desperate enough to do that to see what God can do? Number three, the third type of, of response, and this one uh, is even harder. It's the prayer of disposition. And, and this one nobody likes, but yet I see in Scripture repeatedly where this is so real in our lives. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus is the ending, ending the, the, the ministry time. He's about to head towards being crucified. And, and um, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, and he makes this prayer. And I can't, I can't get away from it. I wish I, I wish I could, I wish I could ignore this one, but I can't. And so, uh, let's read Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to this place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So Jesus is having the prayer time of his life. Keep in mind, Jesus was in heaven, and God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, are sitting around. They come up with this plan to save humanity. We all needed saving. All of us, every one of us. And they come up with this plan And Jesus, they decide, is going to go and he's going to pay the ultimate price of death so that we don't have to pay it. And so this is the plan in heaven. Jesus comes as a baby, begins his ministry when he's around 30, and he starts, the plan itself starts to unfold. And now as we get to the final days, Jesus is going, I don't want to do this. I I, I really, I really don't want to do, I don't want to do what's to come. But he says the key line, but not my will, but yours. So even though I don't want to go through this, even though this is going to be painful, even though this is not what I want, not my will, but yours. I don't like this prayer that much because I kind of like getting my will um, as much as I possibly can. But there are times in our lives, when Jesus is more interested, when God's more interested in what he's going to do in us than the outcome that we are looking for. He wants to transform us from the inside. And so we have to, in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, I think verse 8, uh, it says that, that, that Jesus humbly accepted this price. Jesus humbly accepted it. The interesting thing in this chapter, if you read on, is that he brings Peter uh, along. And three times, he, he basically catches Peter sleeping. Three times, Peter's asleep. And then a few hours later, it's interesting. I, I don't, don't want to... But it's interesting. Three hours later, or th- a few hours later, Peter denies Jesus three times. And I wonder, I'm like, you had three opportunities to prepare your heart the way Jesus was doing for what was to come. If Peter had of just once prepared his heart, 
Would things have been different? I don't know. I don't know. But, G- but Peter was sleeping. P- Peter was asleep. And so I don't want to be caught missing out on what God's preparing me for. I don't want to miss out on, on these moments. As hard as they are, it's not the answer to prayer that I want. I want God to perform a miracle. But right now, it's not happening. Lord, I want to humble myself so that your will will be done and you'll prepare me to walk through that time. All three of these types of prayer happen all the time. Sometimes God answers the prayer in a moment and there's a healing that takes place and it's miraculous and it's wonderful. Sometimes he says, I need you to do a little bit of work, but the miracle is yours if you're willing to fill your jars. Sometimes he says, it's not going to work out the way you want, but I've got something I want to do in you that is going to be so spectacular that you're going to like being on the other side of where that, that, that trouble is. Maybe you're here and um, you're, not a, you're not a prayer. You don't pray. It's, it's hard for you. I know it's hard for me. I'm, I've, been, I've been Peter... A number of times where I've, you know, I'm, I, I'm intending to pray and I end up falling asleep. I grew up in a church that uh, on, on New Year's, uh, we always did a watch night prayer service. And, uh, you know, by, you'd start at like 10 o'clock and like by 11, everybody would be kneeling in their pews. And then by like 11.15, you were asleep. And then all of a sudden, back in that day, everybody had watches. The watches would start beeping and you knew it was midnight. And so you'd quickly sit up and you'd be like, oh... Yes, thank you, Jesus. And, and you'd pretend you'd been praying with your head down. Um, I've fallen asleep plenty of times in, in prayer. It happens all the time. I'm, you know, there'll be times I'll be praying. I'm like, God, I need you to do something. And, and I start out so passionate. And all of a sudden, my eyes are closed and I'm asleep. And then I hear a horn and I swerve back into my lane. It happens. We fall asleep in prayer. So if you're not a, a, a prayer, can I, can I, can I give you a simple way to pray? Can I give you a tool? This is, somebody gave this to me, and I, it changed my prayer life. And so I know Pastor Ben has talked about acts, um, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and you can do that. But here's one that, that, that I did, and I, I'm going to give it to you because I'd love for us all to be prayer people. And here's what I know. If you want to be a person of prayer, there's, there's really two things you need to do. One, um, Pray. To be around people that pray. And, and it'll make a difference. Um, put up Psalm chapter 23. Here's one of the ways that I learned to be consistent in my prayer life. Somebody told me, uh, take a psalm, any psalm. So I picked Psalm 23. And begin to pray line by line. So the Lord is my shepherd. And begin to pray, God, God thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for guiding me. But the key in this system is that every single line has to end with a question and then you need to stop for 30 seconds and listen. You need to listen because we don't often spend time listening to God's response. A couple of weeks ago, we were leaving church and my wife uh, had a bunch of stuff going on with the kids department. And so uh, we were leaving the office. We got two kids, and we're trying to. I'm trying to kick them to keep them moving, and 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 we're trying to. I'm holding all kinds of stuff, and my wife's telling me all about what's happened in kids ministry, and this happened, and and this happened, and she was going, and I kept trying to interrupt, and I kept going, yeah, uh, uh, 
and I couldn't get in because she had so much on her mind and she was so much going on. And we got to the van and we stood there and the van was locked. And she goes, well, do you have the keys? I said, no, I was asking if you had the keys back at the church. Sometimes our prayer life goes that way where we've got so much on our mind and we just start, we just start, God, here, 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 I need this. This is what I need. I want this. Can you do this? Can you fix this? God, God, you just need to show up here. And we've got so much that we're just spitting out that we're not stopping. And God's trying to interrupt and go, I got an answer. I got an answer. But you got to let me speak. And so, Lord is my shepherd. God, thanks for being my shepherd. Thanks for guiding me. Thanks for protecting me. God, where am I not paying attention to your leading? And then just listen for 30 seconds. And then you can move on. I lack nothing. God, thanks for providing so much. God, I am so blessed. God, I have so much and I take so much for granted. God, what am I, what am I, what do I have that I can give to somebody else? Because I lack nothing. What do I have? And then stop and listen. You don't need to make it through the whole psalm. But I can tell you that if you start this, you'll eventually hit one and you'll go off. He leads me by quiet waters. God, my, my life is a mess right now. It's a disaster. I don't know anything about quiet waters. God, why, why are my waters not quiet? Why are they not still? Why is life so difficult? And all of a sudden, you're interacting in a conversation with your Heavenly Father without even realizing it. And so maybe this is you. Maybe you need to do this um, as a method to pray. Number two is be around people to pray. And it's interesting that we just so happen to have prayer tonight at 5 o'clock. And so if you are uh, around, we'd love to have you join us at 5 o'clock to come pray with people to pray. But I want you, I want us as a church to be people that pray. And that when we don't get our miracle, if it doesn't happen right away, that we don't become people that go, nah, I tried that and I'm done. Because God's got something he wants to do. And we need to be really ready to, to desperately seek it to fill up our jars. Or we need to be re- willing to say, God, I don't know why it's not being answered. I don't know why my prayer is not being answered. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to arrive on the other side of this. And I'm going to be able to say, God, you were there with me the whole time. I want to finish um, by giving you an opportunity to come and, and spend some time at the altars. And, um, Why don't we stand together um, before we do this? But if you're on the prayer team or you're uh, our pastors, our staff, why don't you come up now and just be ready to pray with people? But maybe you're here, and and not only are you not a person of prayer, but maybe you're here and you you're not even a person of faith. You're just like I don't even know what all this is. I don't even know what this is about. Can I tell you that um, having a prayer life? is the single most amazing experience that you're ever going to have. Being able to, being able to share your burdens with somebody all the time is incredible. And so I don't want you to miss out on this. So I want to just do this first, um, before we even get to calling people up for prayer. If you're here, everyone, let's just close our eyes. Everybody just close our eyes. If you're in the building, and you just have never made the decision that you want to follow Jesus, um, Today can be your day. Today can be your moment. And so if that's you, if today you're just saying, listen, I want, 
I want to serve a God that answers my prayer, that, 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 that is in relationship with me through my prayer life. If that's you and, and you don't have that, that relationship, today, why don't you just throw your hand up and I just want to pray with you. If that's you, just let me acknowledge you and then... Thank you. Thank you. There's a few of you, and I, I, I do want to pray with you, and, and so I'm just so thankful that you've made that decision today. I really am. I'm so thankful that you made the decision. I'm going to pray for you in just a second, but while I'm doing that, maybe you've been carrying something for a very, very long time. Maybe you've been praying about something for a very long time. The lady uh, that touched the hem of, of Jesus' garment for 12 years, she'd been dealing with it. Maybe you've been praying for 12 years. The Bible says that the beggar was probably was over 40 years old. So that beggar sitting at the, at the gate waiting for, for begging for money, but God healing him instead, he'd waited 40 years for his miracle to happen. Maybe you've been carrying something for a long time. Maybe there's something that, that happened this week and it's brand new and you just want someone to pray with you. We want to pray with you for that. And so I'm going to invite you to come. The, worship, or the, the altar team will be here. Prayer team will be here. There'll be somebody that will pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Um, come and just receive some prayer. We're going to sing and, and then we're going to dismiss. Just a reminder... Um, if you're new today, stop by Next Steps over here. We'd love to, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, and then once you've done that, come meet some of the staff. We're going to be uh, over on the corner here for the meet and greet. If you're new to the church in the last few months, come meet with us. But don't rush. Don't, don't run away from this moment. I really believe that there's people that you've carried things for so long. Come, lay it down. Don't carry it anymore. Lay it down. And so we're going to sing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll close this off in prayer. But come and, come and get prayer if you need it. Let's sing together. Father, we thank you for, God, the miracles that are to come. God, even today, even right now, Lord God, we thank you for, for the stories that are going to be told this week, next month, next year. God, there are miracles that are going to take place. God, we want to stand firm in who you are. God, we want our lives, God, to be firm in you, Lord God. Father, for those people that today made a decision, God, thank you for grabbing hold of their lives. God, thank you for their response to you. God, I pray that they would, uh, God, they'd talk to somebody. God, they would, they would have the conversation with somebody and tell of what you've done in their lives. God, there is so much that we can be thankful for. And God, we just stop, we pause. God, we are thankful for what is to come for this church, for this community, for the people that are here, Lord God. God, be with us this week, we pray. God, as, as, as things come up, God, I pray we remember prayer first. Prayer first. We're going to take it to you first. Be with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.